morning a word of warning and a word of preparation, especially for the young people, not exclusive to the young people, but when God uh, spoke this message to my heart, really burdened me for the young people, something that you need to hear. Reading from the prophet Joel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten. That which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your spirit and for your word, Father God. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us. Here today in this hour, Father God, we ask you in Jesus' name, awaken us and quicken us. I pray, Lord, that our heart would be open to your word. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. In our text here, the prophet begins very abruptly declaring the word of the Lord. And for the heinous sins of Israel, he announces disastrous events that will ravage the land. Terrible calamity, such as the oldest man among them had never seen before. Amen? Something unique in their culture and in their history. However, the prophet also encouraged the men, the men that had ears to hear, to thoroughly warn their children. He said, tell your children of it. Tell your children of it. On this note, I feel compelled here this morning to alert the next generation, you will soon wake up to a different tomorrow. You will soon wake up to a different tomorrow. We know that America has rejected God and has rejected His Word and has rejected His mercy. And as the Bible warns, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And we are seeing that in our culture. Amen? We are seeing a rejection of God and a rejection of His Word. And we are seeing also, amen, a disregard for His long-suffering and for His mercy. And on a side note, perhaps we should take heed, amen, of God's long-suffering and His mercy to you and I, amen, because He has been long-suffering and He has spoken to us many, many times before in regards to spiritual slothfulness. I want you to know this morning in the prayer meeting, God began to give me a message, and I entitled it. I just wrote down the thoughts here, slothfulness in the Spirit, slothfulness in the Spirit. And I thought to myself as God began to deal with me, how will this go over since it's been spoken probably dozens and dozens of times before? It is a besetting sin of this local assembly. I said it is a besetting sin of this local assembly, that there is a lack of hunger, amen? And that really is the root of neglect and the root of slothfulness. You know, I thought to myself as God began to deal with me here this morning, I thought about that beggar on the side of the road with a sign. 
that says, I will work for food. I will work for food. And yet if you stop and you really press the issue to many of those individuals, they really have no heart to work at all. They want to feed off of somebody else's labor. I said they want to benefit and they want to eat off of somebody else's labor. And I'm here to tell you this morning that we have the same spiritual malady in this church. Amen. We want to come and we want someone else to spoon feed us life. And it's very evident, amen, that the majority or the, the masters or the multitudes here, amen, the majority of people are not really seeking to have an overflow, an abundance to give, amen. And I can tell you when somebody has life and they bring Jesus with them, they don't come searching and groping around for Jesus in church. They have the Lord Jesus Christ and they're filled with the Holy Ghost and they have something to give, amen. They have labor. They haven't been slothful or negligent in the Spirit. And because of that, they have a cup that overfloweth that others can be blessed of, amen. But maybe perhaps we should be very cognizant of the mercy and the long-suffering of God. But our generation certainly has not. Our nation has been given over to her sin. And therefore darkness reigns from the pulpit to the pew. From the White House to the county seat. Judgment is upon the land. And we confess this. And we know that it's true. It's so. Young person, if Jesus tarries, amen, events will transpire in your lifetime that neither your parents or any previous generation has ever seen before in America. I believe that. We're facing changes that have never before taken place in our culture. God is sovereignly allowing vast changes, and you and I, and particularly you, young person, must soberly be prepared to face a different tomorrow. Recently, the Holy Ghost specifically placed this message on my heart. No doubt, it is a message of warning, but it is also a message of comfort. God doesn't want this spoken to you for you to be discouraged, amen? He intends for you to be inspired because you can overcome and you can, amen, be a blessing and you can glorify God regardless of the circumstances. But you must be willing to hear what the Holy Ghost has to say to you. And uh, uh, likewise, you don't need to think, well, why would God do this in my lifetime? Why, why would I, you know, have to face such a thing as this? Why does it have to be? It's not God's fault that it's this way. It's man's fault. Amen? It's sin. So don't turn it around and blame God. Amen? Because you face a difficult time in your life. Amen? You have the same choices that every other man has to make. Amen? Jesus, speaking of the comfort of the Holy Ghost, said He will show you things to come. So this is a message that the Holy Ghost wants to give us. And it is a message of comfort that we can be prepared. In His mercy, the Spirit of God is giving you and I forewarning. And if we will simply take heed and prepare ourselves and respond properly, then we can see the will of God accomplished in our life. And Jesus can be exalted. The thought this morning, a different tomorrow. You and I, amen, the young person, you will wake up to a different tomorrow, amen, than your parents and your grandparents. 
And you must realize tomorrow will be vastly different. And there are three areas of intense change that the Holy Ghost wants me to cover here this morning. First of all, you're going to wake up to a different church. You're going to wake up to a different church. Amos 8 and 12. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. The American church of tomorrow will not be the church of your grandparents or even your parents. You know, you think about it. Just as little as 60 years ago, a man could find a good church just about anywhere. Now, I realize I qualify that statement knowing that it has always been a narrow way. There have always been a few. It has never been the majority, but always the minority. Amen? I'm not saying that every church was a good church 60 years ago. I'm not even saying most churches were a good church. Amen? 60 years ago in America. But for the most part, I believe in most cities, within driving distance, in most cases, Somebody could have found a church that was preaching the Word of God. Amen? Men who were preaching the full counsel of God could be heard across the airways in the land. I'm not saying every television or radio preacher was right. I'm simply saying they could be found, unlike today, on the airways. You can turn on the radio and flip through the dial, flip through the dials. When I was on the radio on WLNO, you could listen all day long, and rarely would somebody preach the full counsel of God. Compared to today, good literature, gospel literature, was easily accessible, and sound teaching was widely accepted as well. In other words, amen, if you talked about the blood atonement, if you talked about living free from sin, that Christians should live holy, I believe that that was more commonly accepted, amen, even among the heathen, and I believe that Sister Catherine, amen, could verify that, that you could walk up, amen, to just a rank heathen on the street and say, don't you believe a Christian should be separated? And men, for the most part, would have agreed with that, though they themselves may not have submitted to the Word of God. Overall, the spiritual health of the church was far more robust. No doubt there were more genuine Christians per professing Christians in the church. As I heard one old preacher say, Brother Clendenin, he said the small town that he was raised in had more morals than the average church today. What a profound statement, but I believe it to be true. Even 20 to 25 years ago, when I first got born again, I would dare say you could walk in most Assembly of God churches and you would have found there them doctrinally sound. They would have pretty much preached Jesus saves, Jesus fills with the Holy Ghost, Jesus heals, amen, and Jesus is coming back soon. Prepare to meet thy God. I'm not saying it would have been the finest church in America, but it wouldn't have been dangerous, amen? It wouldn't have been dangerous. But today, and more likely, amen, and more than likely beyond, all that remains in America is a very small remnant. Now again, I'm not saying that people cannot get born again. I believe they can. I'm not saying there's not hope for the individual. There is. But I believe there is little hope, amen, for the corporate. 
for the nation or for the culture. Amen. We will taste of the judgment of God. We've crossed the line of no return. Amen. That's not God's fault. Amen. That's our fault. I said, that's not God's fault. And I can tell you what, whether you want to hear it or not, it's not going to change reality. You can turn it off. Amen. You can say, I'm not going to hear it. You're going to have to face it. Thus saith God. And nothing is going to change it. Amen. We're going to face a holy God in judgment. Amen. But today, and more likely from this point forward, Amen. I believe, listen to me, the church, the professing church, not the genuine church, the real church, the remnant, is going to be kept by a holy God. And there can be even seasons of blessing. And there can be seasons of revival. But you need to know here, amen, you're going to wake up to a different church than mama and daddy attended. You're going to wake up to a different church than grandma attended. It's not going to be on every corner. And I know today that's somewhat true. And you've been conditioned to hear that and to recognize and to say amen to that. But I believe it's only going to get worse. And you need to be prepared. Today, most churches are not only spiritually lacking, they're actually dangerous. You know, after what we heard here this morning, maybe we would be very hesitant and rightly so to claim that we are a quote-unquote good church. But thank God that we're still getting exposed. Amen. Thank God that the Holy Ghost can expose, that you can come to a place and the Spirit of God can put His finger on the spot. And we better receive what the Holy Ghost says. Because listen to me, when we don't want God to speak to us anymore, He may not just speak to us. Amen. There's really not a lot of good churches in America. We may not be able to number ourselves. Amen. With such a high and lofty title. To survive, you must fight the spiritual flow of most churches. Amen. And eventually, in most cases, churches, amen, that people go to, they've got to leave or they will perish. Amen. Think of that. They're in a church that claims to be of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to survive spiritually, they must leave. Many of you here today, amen, you're here because you were forced to move from where you were because you literally could not find a safe church. I know that's not true for everybody, but there are many here. Amen. You're here because where you were, hours from where you live, you could not find a place. Amen. You could not find a place that you could call a safe local church. But young person, you you are going to wake up to a different church world than mom and daddy. There's no guarantee that you will find the love and the support and the orthodoxy your parents enjoyed in their Christian pilgrimage. And you may ask, well, Brother Britt, isn't this church going to be here? We don't know what is going to happen in the future. Is that right? I pray. I don't plan on going anywhere. Amen. But you listen to me. There's troubling times ahead. Something could happen. Many things could happen. And there's no guarantee that you're going to find a good local church in the future. Rest assured, God is able to provide, to keep you in the worst of spiritual times. But you must be willing to be led by the Holy Ghost. 
And you know, having been raised in a church like this, You've just been spoon-fed. It's just been given to you. Amen? But you know, one day you might have to make the same choice that mom and daddy made. Amen? To lose all. To sacrifice everything. To find a place that they could call a spiritual home. You may have to be willing to move. Perhaps there will be no place. You could be put in prison. There could be a lot of scenarios where it would be impossible to find kindred fellowship. And in those scenarios, amen, we can trust that God will indeed provide. And I believe that He will keep anyone and everyone that has no way to find good fellowship. But if there is good fellowship to be found, amen, listen to me. You are obligated to find it and to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to be there. You're going to wake up to a different culture as well. You're going to wake up to a different church world, but you're also going to wake up to a different culture. Proverbs 30, 11 through 14. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. And yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. The culture of tomorrow, the culture that you will wake up to, is not going to be grandma's culture. It's not even going to be mother and father's culture. A generation ago, the gospel was declared in this nation. It was declared on the street. You don't know how many places I've been in America where I sit down with an old saint of God and they say, somehow we get on street preaching. I tell them I'm a street preacher. They say, oh, I can remember as a little girl or as a, a little boy in this small town or in this city or wherever it may be. I can remember in the square or out at the park. There was a man there who would preach every Saturday. There there was a group that came out. They'd sing a song and they'd preach. There were, there were men that would come and preach and in front of the brothels and the barroom. You know, I've heard that over and over and over again. That a generation ago, the gospel was declared in the highways, in the byways. Men brought tents. They've been in the 50s and the 60s and even into the 70s. A tent meeting was something very common to see. That was even in my lifetime. I can remember as a little child seeing the tents up here on this corner and the gospel was noised broad as men carried the word of God. Amen. Just preach. They didn't have a rock show. They didn't have some kind of puppet show or mime. Amen. They went out there and called men to repentance. You could turn on the radio or the television. There were, you know, of course, many charlatans, but there were others that declared the whole counsel of God. Amen. It wasn't uncommon in that hour to hear men preach against sin. And because of the pulpit, America had a sensitive conscience. She had a sensitive conscience at one time. Not many years ago, American culture, though not truly Christian, enjoyed the benefits of gospel restraint. You think about it, and you've heard me say this before. It was in 1956, just over 50 years ago, that Elvis Presley made his debut on The Ed Sullivan Show. But many people were outraged 
They were absolutely infuriated that Mr. Sullivan would put Elvis Presley on a show. He had no tattoos. He had no earrings. He had no nose rings. God forbid he didn't have a, a, a tongue spike. He was clean cut. He wore a suit. He wore a tie. He said, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. You know, there's not many worship leaders in the professing church, amen, that could claim to be that right, amen, in external morality. No one dare thought that he was a sodomite. He'd never been accused of that. And yet there was an outcry that someone like Elvis Presley, a rock and roller who inspired rebellion and teenage passion, would be so honored as to be on Mr. Sullivan's variety show. So much pressure was placed by the public on the network that they only filmed a fully dressed Elvis from the waist up to hide his dancing. Amen. That wasn't because NBC was Christian. That wasn't even because Christian Amer or America was Christian. It was because the church had spiritual health at the time and the gospel, amen, convicted men's conscience. Now, they were sensitive. There were many people, probably just as many people then, going to hell, amen, as there are today. But there was a gospel restraint. My mother, who was in high school at the time, she told me in 1956, the day after Mr. Presley was on at Mr. Sullivan's show, she told me that her homeroom teacher got up in front of the entire class and told them the next day, said, this is the end of America. This is the end of America. That they put that man on television for everyone to see, to exalt, and to, this is the last day of America, she told that English class. And my mother thought it was a bit extreme. But you know, that English teacher was exactly right. But today our godless culture has been conditioned. Think about it. Amen. The just the, the filth, the promiscuity, the sensuality that is broadcast daily. The conscience has been seared. Today our godless culture has been conditioned from its youth to reject Christ and to oppose the word. Psalms 12 and 8 says the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Vile men have been exalted and now wickedness flourishes. A generation ago, God and His Word and the acknowledging of Him were forced from the public schools. A radical antichrist agenda was subtly imposed on the youth of America. That was me, amen? That was me and that was you, parents, amen, where we were subtly fed this antichrist propaganda and we were conditioned to absolutely hate God through education, television, literature, and music. The traditional Judeo-Christian values of Western culture were radically undermined. Virtue and purity were ridiculed and derided as outdated and Victorian, while sin and rebellion and vice were glorified. The hedonistic views of self-fulfillment were popularized as the concepts of self-denial and sacrifice were rejected. Do you know that just from the early part of this century that the ideas, the concepts of self-denial, amen, of preferring your brother, of living selflessly, 
those things were communicated even to the heathen. And of course, there was no virtue. No one was really changed, amen, by external pressures. But there were external pressures. And those external pressures, amen, they offered a check to the sinful nature. There was law, in other words, that was communicated, amen. The moral law was communicated to that culture. But now, this generation, amen, and even beyond, listen to me, they have been taught that self-fulfillment is the highest ideal, amen, for the human being. That's what young people have been taught. That's what you and I were taught that my happiness is the most important thing. You know, some of you young people in here, that's all that you care about. And you're as wicked as the devil himself and foolish as well. Cultural slogans like, if it feels good, do it. Happiness is the most important thing that expresses this trend. See, listen to me, any culture, any family, any individual that places their happiness above all things, listen to me, they're going to be miserable. (laughs) They will be utterly, absolutely miserable. The most, quote-unquote, depressed, troubled, Mentally unstable people are people that are self-absorbed. Even even heathen, even even heathen. You take a heathen, amen, that puts some of these, but they wouldn't save them, amen. But I can tell you what: when a person chooses, amen, at the loss, amen, or the hurt or harm of other people to do what they think is best for themselves, amen, they are living in gross absolute sin, where they have given themselves over to the demonic principle of sin. Abortion was legalized, and now over 50 million babies have been brutally murdered in the name of convenience. And don't be deceived here this morning. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. We have shed blood. We have shed innocent blood. And by man's hand shall our blood be shed. Amen. There's going to be some bloodshed, amen, in this country. In fact, the great violence that we see, the murder rate, the violent crime, I believe it can be directly linked, amen, to reaping from killing innocent children in the name of convenience. So blind is our culture that the murder of a child is seen as fundamental, uh, as a fundamental right of the mother. What could be more barbaric than that? The Bible concept of authority was weakened, especially authority in the home. Hence, the concept of the biblical family was seen as out of step with the modern culture. Amen? Children now, you know, commonly rise up against their parents. Wives against their husbands. Amen? Rebellion. Amen? is just inoculated the entire culture. The divorce rate skyrocket. Divorce is sin! God hates it. The divorce rate skyrocketed. Single-parent families are now the norm rather than the exception. Our cities are riddled with gang warfare, violent crime, 
racism, even domestic terrorism. Our streets are no longer safe. On the individual level, sin, gross sin, drunkenness, drug abuse, sexual perversion, violence, murder, they're at epidemic levels. Rehabs and mental hospitals are full to the capacity. It seems very few connect the dots, though. Very few understand linking our social and moral problems with our sin and immorality. And that shows us, listen to me, what will it take? When the wicked rise, it says in Proverbs 28 and 28, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. And unfortunately, I believe things will only get worse. Some of the worst calamities in American history have transpired in the past decade. But our culture refuses to repent. I mean, repentance is not even... In fact, repentance causes people to be angry. The thought to associate, amen, these calamities with sin is seen as unchristlike and unloving. Amen? Think about it. Katrina. Amen. The judgment of God. A thousand other natural calamities. Earthquakes, etc. and so forth. 9-11... And not even a hint of humility. And that's really the truth. I wish I could say something different. I wish I could say, oh, there's some humility, some brokenness. Very little brokenness at all. Not even in the professing church. Big government fueled by a socialist and communist agenda is now fully entrenched in American politics. Class warfare has been incorporated to undermine the unity of our nation, weakening our national resolve and sowing division. And a house divided against itself will not stand. If you read, you know, the Communist Manifesto, that's one of the platforms, the main planks in communism. You've got to create a radical atmosphere. Amen. You've got to uh, create a man a revolution so to speak and class warfare is nothing more even though it may be subconscious they've been in that man's mind there's a spirit behind it to tap into the selfish heart the carnal nature of fallen humanity and that spirit it goes to the black man and says your problem is you're a victim you're black and the white man is your problem and creates you know it taps into that offense and causes a black man to begin to turn and to blame the white man then he goes to the white man and says your problem is affirmative action and the black man and he's come in and there's all these political movements to undermine your wealth and he makes the white man point his finger at the black man and then he goes to labor and says your problem is management management won't give you what you you deserve and he begins to point his finger at management then he goes to management and says it's labor that strikes and is against and is always causing you problems and makes management you don't blame labor so forth and so on. It's everybody attacking everybody else. And then the Spirit says, we will give you what you want. You just take this. But Solomon's taught a life and give us your liberty. And that's exactly that simple what's happening in our country. And it is the judgment of the Holy Sin makes you stupid. Just life is already tough enough. It's even tougher when you're dumb.
Amen. <laughs> the sin makes you stupid. Stupid as a cinder block. Amen. Listen to what Alexander Titler said. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves money from the public treasury. The love of money is the root of all evil. And that's all, listen to me, what most of this is about. Give me something. And if you promise to give me something, then you have my vote, regardless of whatever else you stand for. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates, promising the most benefits with the result that a democracy always collapses over lousy fiscal policy, always followed by dictatorship. The average of the world's great civilizations before their decline has been 200 years. These nations have progressed in this sequence. And many of you probably heard this before. From bondage to spiritual faith. There's never any liberty without faith in God. You can see the pattern everywhere. If you, if you look back at communism, and I don't believe that communism is really dead, but I do believe that there was a break by the sovereign hand of God so that the gospel could penetrate those countries. But there had to be a return to God. There had to be a spiritual hunger. From bondage to spiritual faith. From faith to great courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy to dependency. And from dependency, back again to bondage. We are on the 11th hour. I said we are on the 11th hour. Decadent, sin-drunken, and stupid. Our culture beats its chest, crying liberty, liberty, liberty to the world abroad. While she blindly puts on the shackles of bondage. Benjamin Franklin says those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety, deserve neither liberty nor safety. God has allowed it as a chastisement for our national sins. We are under the judgment of a holy God. Amen. You, you think about how blind. Nothing else could explain what's taking place. I realize that politics is not the answer. Amen. It's just a reflection of what's taking place in the moral heart or the collective heart of America. But if you would go on the streets of Woodville or the streets of Baton Rouge or the streets of New York City or the streets of Los Angeles and you would take a poll and you would ask a thousand men, do you trust politicians? I guarantee you that over 90% would say, I don't trust any politician. And yet they sell their soul. They believe the lie every single time. They're all liars. Hey, I mean, when did they keep their you know, campaign promises? And yet every time they go to the poll. Why? Because they don't have any hope in anything but that. Amen. And they are manipulated because they're in sin. Amen. God, though, has allowed it. Hence, our liberties are eroding before our very eyes. 
A government, Thomas Jefferson said, big enough to give you everything you want is strong enough to take everything you have. And that's exactly what this government is going to do. Amen. The laws that protect our freedom to believe and practice the Bible will soon be no more. Amen. 9-11, Katrina, all these things took place and yet we continued to march down the road. Time and time again, there has been God's intervention to chastise this culture and we continue to choose, amen, the wicked and to reject the holy. This is a gospel-hardened, reprobate culture. And young person, you must be prepared to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk with Him alone if necessary. It's going to be a different culture. I said it's going to be a different life for you than it was even for me. Finally here this morning, you're going to wake up to a different government. A different government. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. At one time, because of our Constitution, Christians enjoyed unparalleled liberty and unparalleled freedom. Yes, America was lost and it was sinful. But in times past, she was restrained by a healthy and a robust church, as we've mentioned. Many, though unconverted themselves, were either under conviction or they were sympathetic toward Christianity. This is true even in our leadership. Again, I'm not talking about the multitudes, but I'm saying that there was some there. And because of that, there was a restraint. Covenant was made. The Constitute, because this nation was established on the principle, not because all the founders of our uh, country were Christians, probably very few, if any, were real Christians, but because they based, and I believe the sovereignty of God was involved. I don't believe that America is some special nation, you know, like Israel. I'm not saying that. In fact, I would say at this moment, America is the most wicked, vile, godless country on the face of the earth because much has been given to us, amen, and much is required. But I do believe in its inception that there were some things that were established because of the influence of Christianity. And the Constitution is a very uh, it's a brilliant document when you really look at it and see it is a it is a it is a document that communicates you know the form of government that I don't believe of course you know a theocracy with God in charge hallelujah I believe that that is the purest form of government but I believe that you know for men to live uh, under the Constitution because of that Christianity was granted favor amen it should not surprise us though if they have reinterpreted the Bible, it's no small thing for them to misinterpret the Constitution. Once they touch the Word of God, what document, amen, would be so sacred that they wouldn't touch? And they have done great violence to the Word of God, and they've done violence to the Constitution. As our culture drifted further and further away from God, this began to reflect in the leadership that was elected. Wicked and evil men became more tolerated in public life. You know, Mr. Uh, bin Laden would have never been elected to office just 50 years ago. Probably not 30 years ago. You say, well, that's because he's a black man. And that may be true. But if he were white and he held to the same opinions and the same philosophies, he would have never been given a chance in this nation. 
because he's vile and wicked. He's an evil and a wicked man. But you see, now such things are tolerated. Now such things, amen, people espouse to and promote. Today the brazen enemies of God are elected to the most influential offices of politics. Godless judges reinvent our laws in the highest courts of the land. The America that you wake up to tomorrow will not be your grandmother's America. Poverty, rather than prosperity, will more than likely be your lot. You know, when I was growing up, there was always a potential. And of course, that should never be any Christian's motivation. But you know, just that it was possible that a man could work hard and labor, and he would be rewarded accordingly. But you listen to me. Your economic future has been sold down the river by wicked men that hate God. Amen. And I can tell you what, young person, everything you're going to face, the cup that you're going to drink of, amen, tomorrow, the cup that's going to be forced upon you, you just know this. It's not Jesus doing that. It's men, that devil that tempts you to reject Christ, that devil, devil that tells you to go out in the world. That's who is to blame! Not God. In fact, you and I, whatever prosperity, whatever material wealth that you and I enjoy, amen, it's because, amen, that the, the restraint of Christianity, because many of the opportunities that you and I have been afforded to in this nation, a lot of it can be traced, amen, to the liberty and the freedom that's inspired by the influence of the Word of God. But more than likely, listen to me, you're going to be facing poverty. Don't think, think, no, things are never going to change. It's always going to be like, no, no, it's not going to be like it was yesterday. It's never going to be like it was yesterday. There are real, dramatic changes taking place. Amen. And you don't have to be a prophet to know all you have. You can turn on the secular, amen, right? You can hear. There are vast changes taking place. You don't have to be even in debt. Listen to me. You're not going to get out in debt. Get out of debt by borrowing money. That's a pretty simple concept to understand. But our government took a tr trillions of dollars of loan. From who? You. <laughs> they borrowed all the money that you're going to make in the future. Yes, they did. And they're going to get it from you, too. And they're going to lie and connive. Amen. They're going to, you know, put out propaganda. Because, listen to me, God has given them the spirit of witchcraft. And God has given them the spirit of delusion. And the only way that you can see through it is to get right with Jesus Christ and to walk in the truth. Amen. And God then can still, it doesn't matter what the economy of America is, God is still going to provide every single need of His righteous children. Amen. We may not have the abundance that we have. We may not be able to have every want. But I can tell you, walk with Jesus. Amen. And He is going to provide every single need. But it's going to be a different government that you're going to wake up to tomorrow. The government 
will be against you. Now, human government's always been against the Lord Jesus Christ, except when the rulers have been submitted to Christ themselves. But any government, amen, that consists of men that are not regenerated are by nature opposed to God. But this government is going to be actively against. Law. You see, you know what? The only thing that stands between terrible persecution in America and you and I is law. That's the only thing that stands in the way. And as law is toppled, friend, that thing, that raging hatred, that seething disdain that is in the heart of those that are possessed with the spirit of Antichrist, they are going to act upon their sinful impulses. Amen? The only thing that stands between you and I and terrible persecution is the laws that were established in this nation centuries ago. But I can tell you, they are, uh, you know, attacking those laws and undermining those laws even as we speak here this morning. And it won't be too long in the future before many of those barriers are overturned. overturned. If Jesus tarries, young person, you could face imprisonment or even death for simply believing the Bible. Amen. And that's true for me as well and for us. We don't know how long. I don't want to say it's going to be five years or ten years or, or, or I don't know how long. But listen to me. The handwriting is upon the wall. And every one of us that are spiritual knows that it's true. How long in the future, I do not know. But we are going to face things like this if Jesus tarries and we continue to have life. Amen on this earth. Now, that's not intended to scare anyone. I know that it is scary. Amen. That, that's not intended to promote a spirit of fear, though that is fearful. Because we, listen to me, the only way that we would ever endure persecution is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, again, just visiting our besetting sin. Listen to me. Our, our passivity in the faith. It, it, many here have great difficulty having, you know, passive faith rather than active say, listen to me, floaters are going to be sifted in this hour of spiritual intensity. Drifters and floaters are not going to make it. It's not that God wants anyone here to perish. And He doesn't. Everyone believe that? God doesn't want you to perish. God wants you to overcome. God is willing to do anything but sin and compromise. All the resources of heaven are available to you and I. We have everything necessary to overcome any test that we would face. But if we have trouble submitting to God, you see, what's our trouble? We won't submit to God in the test. If we have trouble submitting to God when we're weary in body, when we're distracted in mind, what are we going to do in the swelling of the Jordan? What are we going to do even when there's real prices to pay? You know, I would suggest that you and I train ourselves with the help of the Holy Ghost to overcome now. 
amen, to overcome now. You know, when I feel like sleeping, it'd be better just to, you know, pick myself up and stir myself. I still believe, listen to me, anybody that can sleep in a prayer meeting, that, that's a reflection of a low, low, low spiritual state. Amen. Unless, of course, someone's been up for three or four days. But that pattern, that's a terrible thing. Listen to me. When we're distracted, when we don't really feel, it's going to require that you press through, that you face the opposition, that by faith you rise up and take eternal life. And if you have difficulty doing that now, friend, you need to be concerned. And God is trying to warn us to press in, to be prepared. Young person, listen to me. Game players are not going to be tolerated. Amen. I guarantee you, the real church is going to be purged from those that straddle the fence. You've got to get totally in or totally out. The church may be forced underground. Make no mistake. God will and He can keep you if you're willing to be kept. If you you see, a lot of people may be offended when you begin to speak about passive faith. Well, you're trying to say that I'm saved by what I do or I've got to, you know, somehow in my discipline. You know, the Bible says, with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. Lay hold of eternal life. No real faith makes a choice for life. Real faith is zealous and jealous for life. Real faith will be stirred to press in. There will be wonderful opportunities to exalt Jesus. There will be manifold opportunities to magnify the Lord Jesus and His Word. You were born for such a season as this. It's no mistake. Amen. That you were born now. Amen. You were brought forth for just this season. Amen. You're to recognize that. You're to honor God's sovereignty. You're to say, this is where I am. And this Amen, is the season and the time that God has chosen for me to live. And I'm going to live fully for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make my mark in this life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we will do that, if you will make the right choice, you see, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us not to know what's up on the horizon. And I realize I'm not telling you something that you haven't already heard or that we haven't already discussed. But I believe the Holy Ghost wants to quicken us, especially you young people. Amen. The devil tempting you with the world. Amen. And he's even tempting you with a world that only existed yesterday. Because the world he's tempting you with, it ain't even going to be around. <laughs> I wish I could look like that. I wish I could be like that. I wish I could go there and do that. Sell your soul to the devil. Even to do it for that is wicked. But he's a liar. He's tempting you with something that more than likely it ain't even going to be there after you're in hell. 
serious times in which we live. But no greater time to give your life fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand here this morning. Why don't you find a place in the altar, particularly you young people, find a place, pray. If you're not consecrated fully to Jesus, I suggest you do so. If you don't, consecrate yourself fully to Jesus here this morning. I want you to know, young person, you are rejecting Jesus. Did you hear me? You consecrate yourself fully to Jesus here this morning. God commands that you repent and forsake your sin. God commands that you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you are rejecting Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you are saying in spite of his loving warning, in spite of his merciful dealing with your heart, in spite of the graphic description of your future demise, you are telling God to his face, I do not care. I call you your bluff. I'll cross the line anyway. And I want you to know, young person, you were numbered among the very few that have probably ever been warned in this culture and in this generation like you have been warned in this church. Great and grave ramifications and repercussions for your rejection of Christ. tried to serve God before and I couldn't overcome. So will you reject Jesus because of your failure? Will you reject the love of Jesus Christ? Will you spurn His shed blood? Will you spit in His face because you failed Him? Imagine how foolish that really is. That's like a woman committing adultery against her husband 
and say, now I'm going to choose to hate you. Because then I haven't been able to refrain from sleeping with other men. Jesus doesn't deserve your rejection. Jesus deserves your fidelity and your loyalty. This is not a covenant based upon your performance. I want you to know something, young person. Every one of these people in here, these older people, the people that you assume to be spiritually strong, and I believe many of them are, we've all failed God to our shame. But we have nowhere else to go. Will we reject the words of eternal life because we failed God before? That's not a valid excuse. Jesus can keep you. Jesus can deliver you. Jesus can make you holy. And Jesus can give you power over sin. But you're going to have to be committed to Him before He's really committed to you. You're going to have to say, no matter what, I am going to maintain a right relationship with God. I'm going to choose to forsake all my sin. But if, but if I sin, I'm going to believe the Bible. I have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is a propitiation, not only for my sins, but the sins of the whole world. I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to continue. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk with Jesus until I gain the victory. Do you believe on the day of judgment? Men will be able to legitimately stand up and point their finger in the face of God and say you gave the victory to others, but you wouldn't give it to me. There's no excuse. There's none whatsoever. You can have the victory. The only people that ultimately don't have victory are people that didn't want it. It's not the will of God that you perish, but perish you will if you reject the truth. Why don't you just surrender and submit? Why don't you give up? Why don't you lose your life that you might really gain it? Young person, the devil's telling you you don't have a life. To gain it, you must come out of here Experience the world. Embrace the philosophy, the methods, the mindset, the habits of the world. That's where life and peace and tranquility and fulfillment really are. But he's a liar. He is a liar. And you're being warned. The devil is lying. I believe many young people here today, the devil has lied to you along those lines. What a terrible thing. If you were to survive 20, 30 years to look back, and I can promise you, 
I can guarantee you, if you still have any spiritual concept at all of life and truth, you'd look back and say, whoa, dear me. Oh, whoa, is me. I was a fool. I was a fool. I was warned over and over and over. Not me, preacher. I'm going to be the exception. The way of a transgressor is hard. No, you won't. You won't escape. He's lying to you. But no one can keep you from that lie. But you, as you submit to Christ. He's warning you in love. And young person, you had better take heed to the Word of God. Amen. God sends His Word to you. God sends His Word to deliver. That's certainly His intention for this morning. To forewarn us. Amen. To deal with us in our hearts. That we would be prepared for the days ahead. Hallelujah. He will be there for us. He'll never leave us. Nor forsake us. We'll just choose to walk with Him. We don't know exactly how everything is going to unfold. We don't know exactly when, where, or how. But we do know change is on the way. Amen. And we're under judgment. And we do know that God will preserve His people in the worst of times. He's promised to do that. But we need to make sure that we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we are hungry and thirsty after righteousness. Amen. I'm persuaded we're going to choose to do so. Say amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Brother Joel, could you dismiss?